scripture reading today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 25 through, um, actually, 40 and 41 chapters, so I'll just say that. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) To whom then will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who brings out their host and numbers them calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach. Then let them speak. Let us draw together. Let us draw together. Let us together draw near for judgment. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So in 1734, in North America, a movement began. First through a preacher named Jonathan Edwards. Maybe you've heard of him. But followed by many other preachers. And these preachers began to change their focus and their preaching. They were convinced that there was a great need of personal conviction and conversion, not just only right belief, just believing the right things. They thought uh, people need to be convicted of what they believe and, and uh, let God convert their, their lives, their actions. And uh, this was actually pretty controversial at the time, but eventually started to catch fire. This controversial preaching started to move uh, into people's hearts, touching their hearts. And listen to this, the the descriptions of what would happen in the congregations. People would weep in repentance for their sins. Now, Jonathan Edwards was really a hellfire and brimstone kind of a preacher. (laughs) I don't think it would go over very well. But this was new. He was really emphasizing, you need to respond to what God is, is telling you, what God is teaching you. People wept in repentance for their sins. This was from a, a history book. It says people wept in repentance. Some shouted for joy at having been pardoned, saying, God, thank you for your mercy. And a few were so overwhelmed that they fainted. Can you imagine the scene? Now the aim of the preachers was to create experiences. This was from the textbook as well. Create experiences which would lead each believer to greater devotion in a more conscientious study of Scripture, being more exact, just being more intentional about their lives. And it started with, listen to this, Congregationalists and Presbyterians. Well done, Presbyterians. <laughs> Isn't that great? And then it, it started to move on towards the Baptists and the Methodists. Slowly this method of preaching, this really personal, uh, aimed at people's hearts kind of preaching, started to trickle through Presbyterians, Baptists, and Methodists. And it made a pro- profound difference in frontier life. And Baptists and Methodists, in particular, took a strong advantage of that. Uh, particularly because they were the ones who would go out onto the frontier and ride on circuits. That's the, 
the uh, horse there with the rider, those circuit riders, which actually led to the establishment of this very congregation. Not this building, you understand. <laughs> but this congregation in 1856. Isn't that amazing? So near the end of that same century, in the late 1700s, a sec- that, that, t- that time, I didn't, should have said that, was called the Great Awakening. It was a time of people having a renewal in their faith, just being excited again about what God is doing and, and feeling in touch with God. That was the first Great Awakening in 1734. The second Great Awakening happened at the end of the 1700s and was primarily on the edge of the frontier life. Worship was held at outdoor, what they called camp meetings, like in the woods, in the wilderness, and it was highly emotional. People would come, and there was some controversy because some people came for the wrong reasons. But people would come and hear the word preached, and they would feel so convicted, and they would, some would howl at the moon because they felt so moved by the Spirit. All, all really controversial, but it led to profound conversion experiences resulting in Christian devotion and living. Now, the conditions of frontier life, if you think about this, it's pretty amazing, were very eerily similar to the experiences of today, especially post-pandemic world. High amounts of loneliness and isolation and hardship. Now, all very different from what we experience today. We have a tremendous level of comfort, but today we also see high amounts of loneliness and isolation and new kinds of hardship emerging. But what started to happen back in that time was a revival, a bringing back to life. Revival simply means to improve the condition or strengthen something. And these two great awakenings, these revivals, dramatically changed the history of our country, without a doubt. And like I said, eventually led to the establishment of this very congregation, but changed entirely the trajectory of the history of the United States. There's no question about it. Well, I think it's safe to say that many of us today are longing for some kind of an awakening. Are we not? Some kind of a revival, some kind of a renewal. I oftentimes pray for that. I I wonder, when is God going to bring a similar type of awakening or revival? We long to see the faithfulness of past generations become the faithfulness of uh, of current believers, faithfulness to Jesus right now. We long to see communities and churches in our country, hearts enriched or oriented towards God, leading to a renewal, a dramatic turnaround from our current trajectory. We know what our current trajectory feels like, right? We know it. We feel it. We see it. We're reminded of it continually. We long to see a revival movement, a revival moment. We long to see uh, connections made in our communities. We long to experience love, knowing our neighbors. We long to think and know that things will be okay. In short, I think what we're longing for is hope. At least that's what I long for, is hope. Hope for tomorrow. Maybe just hope for today. But hope is scarce today in so many ways, is it not? It feels hopeless when leaders can't get along. Or it feels hopeless when our families or our co-workers don't change. It feels hopeless when our bodies fail us or even uh, just participate in the aging process as we see our bodies change and grow older. It feels hopeless 
It feels hopeless when we can't shake depression or anxiety or loneliness or isolation. That feels hopeless. We can't do anything about us about it. And in all this hoping, where does it leave you? Nowhere it leaves me. Feeling tired. <laughs> it feels exhausting to hope and to hope and to hope and wonder if it's ever going to come about. And to say that things just aren't changing as much as we're hoping they are. Maybe as much as we're praying that they will. I think this is why there is such great significance in what Isaiah says. Read the, listen to these words again. Isaiah says, God gives power to the faint. God gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Isaiah provides a contrast between humanity and God. See, people were wondering, maybe like today, where's God? Where's God? Why isn't God showing up in this area or that? Why isn't God helping me in my hurt? Why isn't God doing something about the things that are happening around us that clearly God does not approve of? Where's God? Where's the hope? And they were starting to grow weary, doubting His goodness and His majesty. And so Isaiah says, well, first of all, God, unlike you, unlike me, God is everlasting. He does not faint or grow weary. And His understanding, His wisdom is so far beyond ours. His understanding is unsearchable. Don't even go there. Don't even try to understand it because God's ways are so far beyond our ways. And because of God's unlimited goodness and wisdom and grace, because He loves you so much, this is what God is willing to do for each person who seeks Him. He gives power to the faint. He strengthens the powerless. Let me read this again. He gives power to the faint and He strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Isaiah tells us that when we are weak, when we're tired, when we're hopeless, God will bring renewal. But this renewal is beyond physical health. It's beyond changed circumstances. It's much deeper than our day-to-day experiences. I think it's easy to read a text like this and say, yeah, but I'm getting older and I hurt. Well, what kind of a promise does this give to someone who's dying of cancer? It's not a promise at all. You say, well, okay, one day I'll go to heaven. Well, that doesn't make me feel any better right now in this pain. No, Isaiah is speaking of a spiritual and emotional renewal that comes to those who wait on the Lord. Why else would he say, even youths will faint and be weary? It's not about being young. It's not about going back to the good old days. Being a teenager again and having all the energy or energy of five and three-year-olds like I see in my house. That's not the renewal that God wants to bring to us. If it was, why would He ever make us age and grow old and be weary and feel that feeling of, of it, the aging process or the pain of suffering in our hearts? 
Isaiah is speaking of a spiritual and emotional renewal that comes to those who wait on the Lord. It comes from effortlessness. Not striving. Not working harder. Not achieving more. Not being more busy. Gives the imagery of a, an eagle spreading out its wings and rising up in the air current. It's not hard. And the eagle's not doing it by its own power. It's using the power of the wind. Isaiah says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. What does that mean? Easy to say and say, oh, it makes sense. But I think this is what Isaiah's getting at. I think this is what he's getting at. Have you noticed with the cloudy spring that we've had, <laughs> it's been so cloudy, have you noticed the difference in how it feels in your energy, in your hope, in your optimism versus pessimism? Have you noticed the difference between the cloudy days and the sunny days? <laughs> Boy, I do. <laughs> when it's cloudy all week, you know, when it's rainy, when it's cold, when it's windy, just things feel super hard. But then all of a sudden, the next day is calm, sunny, and warm, and I sit outside and everything just feels great. <laughs> Nothing changed. <laughs> Except me. Except my perspective of things. You know, the, the things that felt hard yesterday are still hard. <laughs> the challenges of tomorrow are still going to be challenging. But it's my perspective that changes. It's uh, a refreshing feeling, energized feeling, hope-filled. And, and friends, this is what's amazing about how God designed our bodies, that this is a physiological experience resulting in a spiritual and emotional renewal. Isn't that incredible? And I know that the oldest person in this room, down to the youngest who can understand what's happening, experiences the same kind of contrast in their lives. That's the kind of renewing of strength that the Lord provides to those who wait for Him. That's why God's promises don't just expire as we grow older. Or they're only you know, relevant when we're making big choices in life and starting a family. No, God's promises are eternal. God promises to renew our strength, our spiritual and emotional strength throughout our entire lives, maybe to our deathbeds. To be reminded of who God is and, and that we can hope in God throughout every moment of our lives. Isaiah says those who wait on the Lord will be renewed in strength. But this is maybe the most important thing to understand, that waiting, waiting on the Lord is not passive. It's not just letting others do the things that you want them to do. Or letting them live out their faith for you or continuing to provide for your church for you or whatever. Waiting is not passive. It's not endless busyness and entertainment. It's not numbing our minds. That's not waiting on the Lord like, well, I'll just wait until the day's over. No, waiting on the Lord is simplifying our life and prioritizing Jesus. Waiting on the Lord is slowing our lives down. Slowing our minds down. 
Being more present to God. More discerning of God's presence and God's voice. Like we talked about last week, waiting on the Lord is letting go of outcomes of life. Because we've given God our daily desires and choices and we cast our cares on God. Do you remember how Peter said it? Peter says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Discipline yourselves and keep, al- keep alert. And this is what Peter says. This is his, his belief of what God will do when we structure our lives in a way that opens us to God's grace and let go of the outcomes of life. Peter says, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you his, to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. Sounds a lot like Peter saying you'll have wings like eagles. Like you'll be renewed. Waiting on the Lord is putting ourselves in position to receive more and more of God's grace. John Wesley would say the means of grace. Scripture, prayer, small group, which is talking about our faith, articulating it. Communion, acts of service. The spiritual disciplines are ways that we wait upon the Lord. Uh, Prayer and and even Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual discipline. When it comes down to it, waiting on the Lord is trusting that God is and will continue to work in us personally. Jesus said it in this way that we grow spiritual fruit with patient endurance over a long haul as we allow God's power to work within us, growing an abundant crop of spiritual fruit. Friends, I hope for renewal and a revival movement for a spiritual awakening. In fact, I'm, I'm placing everything I have on that uh, hope, on that outcome. It's like, we don't have a lot of hope unless that happens. And I do believe it's coming. It's just a matter of how hard how much do things have to change before people will be awakened to letting God's power flow through them? I believe it's coming. But this is maybe, let me summarize for you in, in 30 seconds, seven years of studying in seminary. Of all that learning, I've learned that the only renewal that I can really hope for, the only renewal that I can really hope for is within my own heart. That's it. That's the only one I'm responsible for. And when I come to the end of my life, that's what God is going to ask me. Is he's, I'll say, God, why didn't you bring a renewal? Why didn't you bring an awakening? Why didn't you bring a revival? I really wanted that to happen. Especially when I was a pastor. And he's not going to, ask, he's not going to want to talk about that. He's going to ask me what I did to open my heart to his grace. How I responded to it in my day-to-day life. That's it. He's not going to ask me how well-informed I was about everything going on in the world. He's going to say, how did you make more space for me? The only renewal I can hope for is within my own heart. And so that's where I feel God gave me this clarity of saying, simplify, slow, and let go. And I believe that if I personally can commit to this process of simplifying my life, slowing down, 
being intentional about my choices and prioritizing Jesus in the midst and letting go of the outcome, which includes what people think, that God will bring renewal within my heart. That He will renew my strength. That He will make me feel spiritually and emotionally like I'm soaring like an eagle. That's joy. But now again, that's not physical. It doesn't mean that I'm all of a sudden going to feel like I'm 20 again. (laughs) That's what we hope, but that's not what God promises. So I wonder, what is an area of your life that's needing to be renewed? Is there something that you could simplify? Some way that you could slow down? Something you could let go of? All ways that we allow God to renew our hearts. To allow us to see more of God's will, not ours. To allow God's grace to flow through us. Is there some area of your life that needs to be surrendered to God? So this is the most fascinating part of the two great awakenings. Some historians think that there's like five different ones, but there's very clearly two that they talk about in the textbooks. The first started by Jonathan Edwards, and then the second later, which led to you know, this congregation. This is what's really incredible about those two movements. The second great awakening was largely unchurched people. People who were living on the frontier, and so these circuit riders would come and preach the gospel to them and you know they would have a conviction in their heart and then they would form like small communities of faith uh, that eventually became churches. Most of those encounters were on frontier life. So like out there. The first great awakening started with the people whose butts were in the pews. Started with the people who were already there who thought that they didn't need to change. Who thought that everybody else was the problem. They were the ones who started the renewal as they responded to God's grace. If the first great awakening would have nev- wouldn't have happened, if the people who were in church already hadn't let God do a new work within their heart, the second great awakening would have never happened. Isn't that incredible? How powerful is our personal response to God's grace on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis? If it weren't for those people who were in the pews responding to God's grace and saying, God, take me deeper. Show me where I'm missing it. Help to renew my strength. Help me to wait upon You, Jesus. If it weren't for those people, we wouldn't be sitting here today. So friends, I invite you to join me in waiting upon the Lord. To surrendering our lives to Him and seeing what God will do, not by our strength, not by our power, not by our wisdom, but the wisdom, power, and glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.